to the seven spirits before the throne belong glory and honor, power and dominion. We praise you that Christ indeed is risen and is King of kings and Lord of lords and reigns unto the ends of the earth. And we long to see the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is of water. And we labor in this generation uh, in our places, in our churches, in our families, in our occupations, that Christ might have glory and honor and dominion. And we long to see him have it in our lives and in uh, the Lord's day. And we ask that as we would uh, have these afternoon discussions about uh, the sanctification of the Lord's day, that your spirit would help us to work these things out and to have a real vision for the difference that it can make in our lives and our families and our churches. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sorry to tell you kids that uh, you can blame me for this weather because it's a perfect illustration of what we want to talk about this afternoon. You look out there and this cloud that has drops of water that are about uh, uh, almost an inch long and you came up here thinking about all the fun things you were going to do in the mountains, and you look at this weather, and oh, no. Is that how you feel when you see it? Oh, no. Or um, in my book, I talk about cabin fever. And in fact, when I wrote that chapter, it was back when we were having that horrendous winter, not this past winter, but a year ago, and people were getting inundated with snow, do all you kids know what snow is? It's uh, from California, but uh, some of you have lived around, and maybe you have uh, been uh, in a place where it snowed, and you were snowed in, and you couldn't do anything. And that was kind of fun at first, but then it gets old quickly. It gets older for mom quickly. And when we don't have snow, we have uh, unusual rain this year. And perhaps that uh, kept you uh, locked inside and, and you begin to go crazy. Children go crazy and moms go crazy uh, because of the weather that keeps us locked up inside. Or perhaps sometimes you kids, uh, you've been told that um, uh, Aunt Tweety and Uncle Dumb are coming to visit. And they're not really your aunt. They're not even really your daddy's aunt, they're his great aunt and uncle, and, and you don't know them, but you're going to have to sit there and visit with them. These old adults that you don't know, perhaps even come from Holland, and they don't even speak English very well, and you're thinking, oh, I am going to be sitting there having to behave, sitting still in this room with these strangers, and you just shudder to think about it. Well, that is uh, sometimes how we respond when we read these words in the larger catechism that the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful and making it our delight. That's a very important word making it our delight to spend the whole time except so much of it as is to be taken up in works of necessity and mercy 
in the public and private exercises of the worship of God. Make it our delight to spend the whole time in these public and private duties. Now, we sleep eight hours a day. So that leaves us uh, 16 hours. Now, we're not going to worry about the church part. Let's say that's four to six hours a day that we would spend either going to or together at church in the morning and in the evening. But we take out church time and we still have left 10 to 12 hours with no television and no um, outside playing, no reading of a novel, uh, no working in the garden, not thinking about the stock market or solving a problem at work, 10 to 12 hours. What am I going to do with 10 to 12 hours on my hands? not doing those things that I normally do with a day. Well, that's what I want to talk about this afternoon and tomorrow afternoon. What do we do with those 10 to 12 hours? Not the public duties, but the private activities of the Lord's Day. Because the thought of that is enough to drive a sane person crazy. If we just think about 10 or 12 hours not doing the things that we normally do in the week. Well, it's the fourth uh, outline uh, in your book, Private Duties, and I've broken it down into three section, sections of nurture, hospitality, service, and ministry. Let's imagine now that we are home for church on a Sunday sometime between 12.30 and 1 o'clock. And uh, the meal is, is finished. And here is this afternoon that is stretched out before us. What are some things that we can do in this concept of the private worship or the private duties of God? Well, under nurture, you notice I have family nurture, and I have private nurture. And under family nurture, I'd want to talk about two things. Now, we'll talk more, much more tomorrow uh, about the things that we do for our young children on the Lord's Day. But it's a very important uh, thing that we've greatly lost in our Reformed churches that we need to be doing Sunday either in connection with our Sunday noon meal or immediately after the meal, and that is to review the sermon. In the larger catechism, uh, question and answer 160, it tells us how to profit from preaching. It's a very important uh, um, question and answer. What is required of those that hear the word preached? It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it that's preaching, with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the Scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, readiness of mind, as the Word of God. 
and meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. There's really three sections here and in fact I do a seminar on uh, how to listen to preaching and I use the larger catechism as the outline of that. We have the approach to preaching, what we do under preaching and what we do after preaching. Now that's what we're thinking about right here is what we do after preaching. And it says that we are to meditate and confer, which means to talk about it, hide it in our hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in our lives. Preaching is like a time-release capsule. Now, it has an immediate impact. It is the living word of Christ. When the lawfully ordained man preaches the word, Christ himself speaks with a living voice. It has an immediate power and efficacy. But it also has an ongoing working power. As uh, the Spirit works out the preaching, its effect in our lives in the days that follow. But for that to take place, there needs to be some conscious meditation and review of the sermon. And we do this not only for ourselves as adults, but we also should do it for our children. In fact, I am uh, a serious opponent of both children's sermons and children's church. I don't know how many toes I can get with that wide uh, sweeping statement uh, because I believe that uh, uh, public worship is for the covenant family and that preaching, even though children will not understand a lot of it, still brings them into the immediate presence of God and that's where they should be. One time on a pastoral visit, I was trying to get a young family to understand this, and so I asked a five-year-old daughter, I could ask you children the same question, imagine you were there on the mount where Jesus was about to give the sermon on the mount, and you had a choice to go off with uh, Mary and Martha to children's church or to stay and listen to Jesus. What would you choose to do? Well, of course, the little girl's face lit up. She says, I'd stay with Jesus. And that's right even though she wouldn't understand everything that he was saying, it was Jesus who was speaking, and that's where she wanted to be. And when our worship, when the Word of God is preached, it's Jesus who is speaking to his church, and that's where we want our children to be. Now, I one time visited a man, and, and he said, well, why don't you give a children's sermon? And I said, well, how many things would you expect your child to get from a children's sermon? Well, that was a dumb question. He said, one, of course. And I says, well, you don't think your child could get one thing out of my sermon, particularly if when you went home, you talked to him about the one thing that you wanted him to get out of the sermon. Now, of course, as pastors, it's our responsibility to be sure there's things in our sermons for all the various ages and, and spiritual levels of people within the congregation. But it's the parents' responsibility then, both for themselves and for their children to go home and spend some time on Sunday reviewing the sermon, talking about its uh, purpose, its main points, uh, the truth that is involved in the sermon. Do the children or do you have questions, things you don't understand about the sermon, things about the doctrine and truth that are in the sermon, and then the application of the sermon. Are there sins to be dealt with or promises to uh, be claimed and talked about? Um, warnings to be considered. And then in prayer, uh, a confession of sin, of sins that would have been exposed by the sermon, taking hold of the, the grace of God, of the things that were promised in the sermon. 
Now, if we will do that, if we will take the Lord's Day, and again, do the same thing uh, in the evening, if we'll take the Lord's Day and review the sermon, we all, adult and children alike, are going to profit much more from the sermon, and we're going to see it then ourselves much more readily calling it to mind uh, during the week and applying it uh, in our own uh, particular circumstances. And so uh, we should devote some conscious time on the Lord's Day to review of the sermon. And it's also a good time for extended family worship. Again, we live in a very... um, rapid-moving, complex society. And particularly as our children get older, they get to be teenagers and between uh, church responsibilities or a father that uh, has to be out or travel some with his work and then sports activities that the kids are in, you and I both know that it's, it's difficult sometimes to have family worship every evening. We're not all there to eat the same meal together any longer on Sunday evening. And, and that's a... a, a difficult fact of the culture in which we live. But what we do have is uh, 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 of the weekday eating. What we do have is on Sundays a time then for some extended family worship where we can not just uh, rush through a passage. We might even use family worship to review the sermon. That's what we used to do. But then to have a family hymn sing and a family prayer time because you have not had those times uh, regularly during the week. And so it's it's, there's the leisure, you see. Uh, there's not the... This is what we, what we saw this morning. You're freed up now. And, and as a family, being freed up, you can devote yourself to these types of family activities of discussion and conversation, of singing and praying together that oftentimes the competing schedules during the week uh, hinder. So that's what I mean here by family nurture in terms of these private duties. But then there's this area of private nurture. Um, Family worship is over, and the kitchen is cleaned up, and the afternoon stretches out before you. And let me just offer a word to husbands as well as to to the children with respect to the kitchen being cleaned up. Uh, I think it's a very important principle for us uh, as husbands to uh, get into the kitchen there, particularly in the cleaning up process, because this is our wives' normal work. And um, uh, it's something that we can go in there and either do or help do and freeze her up for a better Lord's Day. And, of course, we should be all training our children uh, to do those types of of, uh, chores themselves. But all that's done now, and there's still this afternoon before us, and, of course, the line of least resistance is calling it's um, about six feet long, anywhere from uh, uh, four to six feet wide. It's called a bed. And uh, the easiest thing to do with this uh, unscheduled time is to go to that bed and stay there for a couple of hours and uh, have a long, leisurely nap on Sunday afternoon. But that's exactly, as we've already seen, what we must not be doing, that there can be the necessity of physical rest and a, uh, a brief, appropriate type nap to be refreshed uh, is surely not contrary to what the Scripture teaches us with the use of the Lord's Day. But 
normally. Now, again, recognizing there can be times where because of, of what we've been through as a family or individual during the past week, you might need uh, to sleep that whole afternoon. But normally, if that's happened to you every week, you need to look back at changing your lifestyle the other six days. But, so normally, that's not something that uh, we should need as uh, people of God, but rather we want to devote ourselves into uh, some of these uh, private duties. It's a great time to get caught up on Bible reading. I mentioned this morning uh, that I use McShane's Bible reading calendar. It's a fairly uh, aggressive reading program. Some people would cut it in half or you pre- perhaps you have some other program you use. But uh, most of us will have schedules as such that uh, there will be times that we're going to miss uh, days of morning devotions, our private Bible reading and prayer either an early appointment or we felt bad and we had to stay up late or something and, and whatever and, and we just don't have, haven't had the time that week. And what, we, what God gives us on Sunday is, in a sense, a catch-up time so that, uh, yeah, you're behind your Bible reading. Well, this is a good time now to have a relaxed approach to reading your Bible and meditating, praying over what you see there because, again, our prayer times are often... Um, pressured uh, by the pressures of the week. And uh, we need time for private prayer, not only for our, ourselves, and, and, but for others and for the church. And if you have any kind of serious approach to intercessory prayer, where you're praying for the church of Christ and for others in your congregation and uh, for the preaching of the gospel and for the lost and for missions and, and all of that we should be praying for, well, that is going to get squeezed at times. And here the Lord has given you a time now to uh, have a more relaxed approach to these private um, disciplines, these means of grace that God has given unto us. Uh, perhaps you are a Sunday school teacher. And again, with your schedule, it's hard to do the kind of preparation that you need to be doing. Well, I think uh, for the Christian that's teaching Sunday school in the church, uh, that Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening is a very good time to start looking at your next week's lesson and uh, studying the scripture, looking at uh, the passages or, or the material and, and using that time to um, invest in your own study and development. Not that that should be the end of your time of study and preparation, but it could become a very foundational time or time to study out a particular doctrine or something came up in the sermon that you want to go... Uh, chew on a bit and so you have time to get out your concordance, your commentaries, your Bible dictionary and, and you spend that time. You wouldn't have that time often during the week to do that and here's your time uh, to spend there. And of course, uh, probably by your bed or tucked away somewhere is a stack of books that uh, seems never to get read and alongside that another stack of Christian magazines and periodicals that uh, seem never to get read. And it's a great day to catch up then on reading. Um, young mother would want to be reading this, this particular book uh, by Pipe on the Lord's Day. And, and, um, but she doesn't have time. You know, this thing gets away, that thing gets away. But here's Sunday afternoon. In fact, I, I think that's what Godfrey said in his uh, uh, blurb on the book, a good book to read on Sunday afternoon. Um, and it's just a gift of God that you have some time now that you can uh, devote to reading. And every Christian needs to be a reader. 
Now, we all don't have the same aptitude for reading or the same interest in reading, but uh, we all need to have some kind of reading program that we're on. If it starts out as you're going to read one book a year, well, then pick that book and read that one book a year uh, and really get aggressive and read one book a month. Uh, But whatever it is, you need to have books selected and you need to have uh, some kind of goals built in there. And again, the Lord's Day is a great time to meet those kind of goals and to uh, slowly work your way through books. And one of my um, uh, readers suggested that in the back I at least give a sample list of books and so I consulted some friends in the back of the book you've got books for children, for youth and for adults and it's by no means a comprehensive list it's just a starting list. You can go to your elders and pastors and get suggestions from them on books to read but have a reading program and use Sunday afternoon and Sunday evenings uh, as a time to uh, read those books that seem never to get read. They sit there, third or fourth read, uh, and they gather dust week after week and even month after month. And then it's a great time on Sunday afternoon to uh, review memory work. You know, we as adults need to keep working on memorization and review of scripture and of catechism. And it's, it's a great opportunity, you know, that you just have so many catechism questions a month that you go back and review for yourself. Um, or you're learning them for the first time and then reviewing what you've learned. But, and you can couple that with, uh, you know, going for a walk uh, where you get some, uh, some physical uh, exercise. You get the blood flowing so that you will be able to stay awake in church on Sunday night. But as you walk, and I often do this particularly when I'm not uh, in a regular preaching schedule. I go for a walk. I've got catechism flashcards that um, we printed, and and I just take a handful of those, and I go out and and learn or review catechism. And my brain is like a a sieve, so I have to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, And it's just a a great thing to do, and you find it very refreshing. Of course, you can also use those flashcards driving. and reviewing catechism then too. Just don't hit somebody. (laughs) So those are some things that I I have in mind when I talk about nurture, family nurture and private nurture. Now one of the great ministries of the Lord's Day is the ministry of hospitality. And frankly, this has become one of the really neglected ministries in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I constantly, not just rarely, but constantly hear horror tales of PCA and OP congregations where sometimes people aren't even spoken to, but they're hardly ever asked into a home. That is terrible. Hospitality is not a gift that some people in the congregation have. Hospitality is a biblical Uh, requirement uh, of God's people. And the New Testament is full of exhortations unto that end. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. As Paul begins to work out the practical effects of the grace of the gospel, he tells us that we're to contribute to the needs of the saints and we are to practice hospitality. Our Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this he reminds us that Abraham then entertained God and angels. By this some have entertained angels. 
without knowing it. Uh, Peter repeats the same uh, exhortation in his first epistle that we're to be given to hospitality. Now, hospitality, one of the reasons it's neglected is that it just scares the skirts off of us as well as the pants. Um, we, we just don't think we can do it. And we think of hospitality, we think about a, a great meal and uh, a nice place setting and all of this stuff that's either beyond our time or our ability or our resources. But see, that's uh, well, not at all what hospitality is about. Uh, I recently, a uh, wife of one of our pastors and board members at, at Greenville did a thing for our wives on hospitality and she started out with uh, a plate with some cheese and crackers and a glass of water. And to illustrate that uh, that was all the tools that you needed uh, to exercise hospitality. Now, it's nice for the women that are so inclined that they like to do a nice meal in order to show their appreciation for people. My wife is one of those and at times will do a very nice meal and most of that can be done uh, before uh, the Lord's Day and, and we'll get out the nice china and stuff like that and that's great. But we're also, uh, on the spur of the moment, we'll tell somebody, come home with us. We don't know what's there. But you can share it. We've got leftovers. We've got popcorn and, and those kind of things. And, and they come and they make their own sandwich. Have a hot dog, a bowl of soup, a, a bag of popcorn. It really doesn't matter what you're eating, you see. The food is just an excuse now, some of us doesn't look like it's just an excuse, but <laughs> the food's just an excuse <laughs> to, uh, to promote some very important things of, of ministry and of uh, fellowship. And so uh, we ought to be using the Lord's Day as times to have each other in our homes and particularly as times to have uh, visitors to the church and to the community in our homes. Uh, in my last two churches, we established uh, a program called Entertaining Angels Unawares, and it's the French acronym for water. And the whole thing was that every Sunday, and then as the church would grow, the number would increase, but there were people that were prepared, they came to church prepared to take other people home with them. Now what that does, at first you maybe only do it once a quarter, but you jump in the pool and you get your feet wet and you find out that this really is fun. And suddenly you find that people aren't waiting for their turn, they're actually vying over visitors. And what ought to be happening at our church is that any visitors there has three invitations home rather than leaving with no invitations home. And so the Lord wants us to look at uh, the Lord's Day. Not, again, that's not the exclusive time for hospitality, particularly a Friday night or Saturday afternoon. Saturday night are great times for this. But the Lord's Day, particularly as you have visitors in your church, you have out-of-town guests, um, that it's, it's just great to be sure that nobody ever comes to your church that would be an, in any force to go to a restaurant on Sunday. Now, I, I believe that Restaurants on Sunday for those that travel. And the way I've worked this out, and it's interesting in reading that, uh, Jim Dennison's book on, on the Sabbath, this way the Puritans worked it out as well. I didn't know that when I worked this out, is that 
in Puritan England, when the long parliament put together Sabbath regulation, they uh, allowed four inns uh, to serve meals because people were traveling and, and they had to stay someplace. They had to eat. And so that wasn't contrary to what they understood to be the purposes of, of the Sabbath. And I personally, if, if I were the governor of California, um, you know, the uh, fast food restaurants wouldn't be open, but hotels or motels would have restaurants that would be open for the people that were staying there. I think that happens in our culture and its transient nature to be a deed of necessity. Same way that a college cafeteria or a hospital cafeteria has to function on the Lord's Day. Uh, but still, it's, it's much better for Christians to be inviting those visitors and strangers into their home uh, for the Lord's Day rather than leaving them into that impersonal environment of the restaurant at the hotel or the motel. And so um, it's a tremendous ministry and a great opportunity. And any of you, single adults as well as married uh, people, can and should be exercising this ministry. And so it ministers to the stranger, to the visitor, who uh, needs that. And, and again, it becomes a powerful testimony in our impersonal society that uh, here's a connection. Here's somebody that cares. And it's, it'll have a tremendous effect in the ministry of your church because the visitors start saying, well, here's a church that really does care about me. And wow, this is interesting. And um, the Lord will use that to attract both believers, but also, I believe, to do a work in the hearts of unconverted men and women and children. Now, of course, the, the other purpose of, of hospitality is it's the framework, the environment for promoting Christian fellowship and spiritual conversation. Spiritual conversation is a lost art, even amongst so many of us that have a great deal of knowledge. We have uh, difficulty often in uh, moving conversations to uh, the personal spiritual areas and opening up our own hearts and sharing truth with other people. Um, and it's something that we need to develop. It's interesting that Malachi chapter 3 talks about the blessings of spiritual conversation in this contrast. Verses 13 through 15 talk about what I call God trash talk. Uh, Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against thee? You said it's vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we've kept his charge and that we've walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. And so you see these people are bad-mouthing God. And that's going on in the church. And it's in that context that we read then in verse 16, then, in contrast, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And the context here shows what they were speaking to one another about. They were talking about the goodness of God, the grace of God, the truth of God. They were counteracting this trash talk and vindicating God. And in doing so, they were promoting the fear of God in one another. But it's interesting who was listening. God heard. And then it says that he had it written 
uh, in the book of remembrance, which you know from the book of Esther was the book that the uh, Persian kings kept, and that's the time this was written, where when people did things that the king wanted to be sure he rewarded later, he uh, had it listed in the book. And you remember Mordecai, uh, that great story when uh, he had saved the king's life and it got entered in the book, and then uh, just by accident, uh, the very night before Haman was going to come and, and um, start pressing to get Mordecai uh, put to death, the king couldn't sleep. Strange. And so he called for the book of remembrance, and you read about this fellow Mordecai. So he says, what's been done for this guy? Well, nothing. And so Haman comes in, you know the story, and he says, what should I do if somebody I really want to honor? And, and Haman thinks, well, who could the king want to honor more than me? So he really puts it on heavy, and he says, do that for Mordecai. <laughs> But that was the book of remembrance, you see. And that's what God is saying here, is that when God's people talk about him in Christian conversation and fellowship in order to build each other up and to uh, promote the glory of God, that God's eavesdropping. Not only is he eavesdropping, God's going to bless those conversations to the well-being of his people. And so what we see in Malachi is the very thing they said uh, that wasn't happening, God says, I vindicate my own. And it was those who were pursuing spiritual conversation. Now, what better place is there, and surely you've experienced this, that you never leave the table. You're there, you are eating, and you're talking, and you're there two hours later. And you've had a glorious time, you know, and since all the bears have melted away, you start talking there about the things of the Lord around the table, and it's been a time of tremendous fellowship that was stimulated, promoted, by the hospitality, by sitting around the table so that you could talk. Now that conversation sometimes can be quite directed. There'll be somebody you want to discuss or they've got a particular question that they, they want to discuss with you or perhaps you'll have a person over that visits church and you think they're probably not converted and you want to direct the conversation as much as possible to what God has done for you and uh, uh, his work in your life and to give a testimony to to his grace. You'd want to have family worship, even if, if the people are, are non-converted, because it opens up again an opportunity not only to show example and to bear testimony of Scripture, but perhaps for conversation that could come out of uh, those types of meals. And so uh, Sunday afternoon is a great time to do this. Now, I would put this caveat there, this warning. Some people enjoy it so much that they'll do it every week. And I think that just as anything else, that that can begin to hinder other uses and purposes of the Sabbath. And we, I think we need to structure this as we do other things and not get uh, overly righteous, as the Scriptures warn us. And so uh, there needs to be a moderation in this as well. And particularly, again, as we have little children, we have to be sure that the Sabbath is structured for their sake. And if we're constantly just doing hospitality, there's going to be other things that are going to be falling uh, between uh, the cracks. And uh, really a second caveat there is that we must never forget our little children when we uh, do hospitality. Uh, they must always be on our minds in terms of how we are doing the Sabbath and, and we just can't stick them away and let them entertain themselves or whatever and think that they're really going to get the profit that they should get. So it is a day, though, for hospitality. And then the third area that I have listed here is that of service and ministry. Uh, it is a day for doing the work of the Lord. 
Christ spells this out when he talks about the, the various temple activities and such that were done on the Lord's Day. And of course we know that we as pastors, particularly, but elders, Sunday school teachers, we uh, have to do these things as well uh, on the Lord's Day. And it's part of Sabbath keeping. It's part of, of that which we're given the privilege uh, to do. But all of us uh, uh, can use this day for Christian uh, service. It's, it's a good day for visitation, a day to visit the shut-ins or to go to the nursing home. And that's a ministry that we should be involving our children and our children's Sunday school classes in so that uh, they're being exposed to uh, these uh, older people. And the older people, of course, love to have the children uh, uh, brought to them uh, in times like this. So it's a great time for ministry. It helps our young people understand that... Uh, the Christian life really is about ministering and not being ministered unto. Uh, again, in our youth programs, uh, unfortunately, the, the direction is falling off in the area of uh, uh, food, fun, and games rather than service. And that's bad. we all should have food, fun, and games. And children and, and teenagers should have have fun together and it's great and God wants us to have fun together but he never wants us to think that that's the primary reason of life. You know, you see these billboards, um, you deserve to play, advertising somebody's golf course or retirement program or resort or whatever. Uh, No, we're called to labor and uh, our children need to learn that we're called to labor. That Yes, God lets us play and have fun but we all sort of honor and glorify God in in the things uh, that we do. And so it's very important that our young people and our children learn to serve God on the Lord's Day. The particular church where God saved me had a very interesting youth program in that we did really fun things together, but it was very service-oriented. We were going to the servicemen center, we were going to nursing homes, uh, all kinds of uh, outreach and ministry. And out of that youth group, there are probably some ten men out of a three-year span that are in the ministry. This wasn't any megachurch. And there are a number of women that are married to missionaries and pastors or who themselves have been directors of Christian education in churches in the South. And I think that one of the things that God used was that as teenagers, we were thrust into ministry. And that's where we got a heart for ministry. So in God's providence in my own case, and everybody's different, but by the time I was a junior in high school, I had a very settled conviction that God had called me to the ministry. I couldn't imagine anything else. And when he did, he had used the things that I'd been exposed to uh, as, as a way to work that desire in my heart. And so visitation, not just on our part, but getting our children and our young people involved in this And then you elders, many of you have a heart to visit your people uh, in the congregation and and believe that's part of the responsibility that God's given you as elders, but it is so difficult to get one more night a week, even if it's one night a month, to be out and doing that. Well, I encourage elders to take one Sunday a month, an afternoon or the evening after church, and visit one of your families for which you're responsible. Uh, It's a great use of the Lord's Day. Or you can combine that by having that family into your home and then structure your visit in the context with the hospitality uh, that you would do there. 
And so it's a good day for service and ministry in regard to visitation. It's a good day to do evangelism. Some of our churches will go to um, the park, and uh, I know that uh, what's now New Life Mesa, I have to start calling it New Life, is it New Life La Mesa? La Mesa. Um, David Ock and others were going to Balboa Park. They still do that uh, uh, once a month or whatever. And uh, uh, that's a great opportunity to go out on the Lord's Day afternoon where the world is and seek to uh, bring the gospel uh, to them. In our church in Escondido, we sent out rotating teams on Sunday morning during Sunday school, which our Sunday school came after our worship service. It's 11 o'clock. Most people are up by then, but they're not out by then. So it's a great time to catch people at home, not yet glued to a television set or whatever, and try to go out at least a team weekly and knock on doors and share the gospel. There's lots of different ways that uh, we can do this, but it's a a great day to use uh, for evangelism. And then, of course, there's other aspects of uh, service. Uh, It's Perhaps the church committee or, or uh, ministry team, whatever you call it, you know, can get together on Sunday evening after the service to uh, deal with a particular project that the church is going to do or a particular ministry the church is going to uh, enter into. There be any numbers of types of activities of service in each particular church that would um, be appropriate to do on the Lord's Day. Well, by this point... I'm sure that the feelings of cabin fever have been expressed with exhaustion. Uh, suddenly it's not, oh, what will I do? But, whew, how can I do all of this? Well, let me offer some things here. And the first is that we're not to exhaust ourselves with the Lord's Day. I've covered a wide range of things not suggesting that you try to cram all of these things into every Sunday of the month. Uh, The Lord's Day should not be spent in such a way as that we get up on Monday morning exhausted. No, it should be spent in such a way that we are first spiritually refreshed, but also that we're not physically haggard, so that we can go from our rest into the labor of the week. Now, it's primarily a spiritual rest, but we're not to exhaust ourselves in the things that we do on the Lord's Day. And so it's important that whereas on the one hand it's not a day of inactivity, on the other hand it does not become a day that leaves us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically exhausted. Now, the way that we avoid that is simply planning. Planning. Don't let it happen, but approach it with careful forethought, with goals that are moderate, that allow you to meet all the purposes of the Lord's Day over a period of time. And so as I was talking to somebody earlier, um, it's better to look at at least a month so that in a month's period you're not having people over on the Lord's Day you know, six or seven times but, but rather you know, you maybe one Sunday 
afternoon after church in the morning and maybe a couple of Sunday evenings or something like that where you've planned what you're going to do. And if you are going to be involved in uh, uh, a visitation, that that's, again, not every week, but you, you, you plan, all right, once a month we'll take the kids to the, to the nursing home or once a month we'll go to the park and do evangelism or once a month as an elder you'll do a, uh, a pastoral visit so that you keep time guarded for the private duties which are foundational and coupled with the public duties for the proper use of the Lord's Day. But the only way to be able to do that is by planning your use of uh, the Lord's Day. Well, I think that's uh, sufficient evil for the day in terms of getting before you a number of ideas. Um, tomorrow, I also got to think about in terms of questions and answers. Tomorrow and uh, Thursday, there ought to be probably some time at this section as well uh, for uh, questions uh, and um, comments that would come out, not just out of the practical part, but also out of the uh, exegetical things that we're doing in the morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we uh, praise your name as you've given us this gift of a day and uh, we are we suffer from the embarrassment of treasures, Lord, as we just have scratched the surface on how we can use this day for such profit for ourselves and for your church. And I pray that you will cause us to be excited about this and uh, look forward to the times that we can devote uh, to uh, serving you on your day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know if we'll stop at a quarter to two or two. It's a quarter to two. If you want to do some questions now, I don't know how your schedule's working. We can do that. Uh, some questions now? So we really have till two? There's no limitation here. Ooh. At least stand up, <laughs> huh? Yeah, people have been sitting all morning. Uh, we can take your question. Thinking about it. Mike? I would appreciate it if you would go back to your uh, topic of uh, God's uh, positive law. I, I'm having a little bit of trouble with it because uh, when you say something like that, I'm having a quiet speech and I'm thinking of all the positive criticism of man-made law or their confrontation uh, with the, the social warriors of the day. Okay. Good. Everybody hear that question? I'm going to repeat it for the tape. Uh, he, he's asked me to expand some on what I mean theologically by positive law because positive law is used uh, a different way in legal nomenclature. Uh, when theologically or ethically in the Bible we talk about positive law, uh, it's not man-made law, nor is it moray uh, or cultural norms. A positive law is, in the first place, a law that is given by God. I need to be clear about that. Uh, it is of divine origin. Second, because it is given by God of divine origin, it is morally binding on those to whom it is given. And thus, uh, in, in many respects, uh, it is a sin to trespass that law. And that seems to me to be part of the difference between the, um, the sin offering and the trespass offerings uh, in the uh, Levitical system that, that it seems at least to some degree the trespass offerings had to do with certain uh, 
ceremonial sins. Now, not all ceremonial uncleanness was a sin. We need to understand that as well. It just entailed certain uh, temporary separation. When Christ touched the leper, he became ceremonially defiled. He didn't sin, did he? He couldn't sin. And so to touch leper wasn't a sin, but it did bring a defilement. In fact, that's a, a beautiful picture of the Savior. He could have healed that leper by a command, but he says, I am willing. And he reaches out and touches him. Now that was probably the first human touch that man had had in years but also showed that the Savior heals by bearing the defilement. And that wasn't a sin on his part. But to, to violate other positive commandments uh, is sin. They become moral uh, in that God has given them. But the third thing about them then is they are not per, of a perpetual obligation on the people of God. They are temporary in order to meet or accomplish wise divine purposes within the unfolding of the covenant transaction. So Cain and Abel could marry their sisters. Uh, we may not marry our sisters. It was not a sin for them to do so. It is a sin for us because God's word has said that it is a sin to do so. Uh, Israel could not eat pork. We may eat pork. Um, uh, both of us, though, must eat to the glory of God. Uh, they were in their minority and thus they had to be more structured in order to glorify God. We live in the fullness of the Spirit. And so many of these areas, we are governed by the Spirit. And so there's a liberty involved, but we still then are under the obligation not to be gluttons and to uh, eat to, to the glory of God. Does that help? Okay? Good question. We'll do one more now. Very good question. And um, it's the kind of thing that we ought to think about so that we can at least have given some thought. Oh, yeah. Great sound engineers in the back. Huh? Uh, what should a Christian do when uh, he or she finds himself in a home, uh, either of non-Christians or people that are not going to keep the Sabbath? Um, and I'm saying that, that forethought is the wisest thing to do. I can remember having this discussion with uh, Henry and Anna uh, a number of years ago, I guess back when we were doing premarital counseling. But we, um, uh, it would vary in the context. Maybe we can explain things too and that, that will be sufficient. Others, we are going to have to try you know, to um, direct the conversation and the activities and refrain from the more overt uh, activities that, that are going on. So um, it's difficult. Um, it's one of those places the... the <laughs> Rabbi Piper. I tried to weasel. <laughs> okay, let's... I'll give you a couple of examples. Um... Let's say you're a long-term guest in the home. So you're not just there for Sunday, but you're there for two or three 
uh, days over the weekend or whatever. Well, it's, you know, it's, um, you make yourself useful. You can pitch in and help clean up the kitchen. That ingratiates you to your host. And then you simply say, you know, I need to go to my room and rest. That's true. Um, you don't have to explain what kind of rest you're going to go to your room and do, but uh, you're going to go to your room and rest, and you'll come back out and, and talk. But uh, um, that's, that's one thing to do. Um, if, say, the television comes on and, and they start watching the football game, that's, you know, you can say, I, you know, I think I'll go read a bit. That's not rude. Uh, they've turned the TV on, and they aren't obviously going to talk. And if they want to talk, then, you, you know, you can sit there and try to talk to them over the, over the TV. Um, you can do those kind of things uh, as well. And of course, if it's, if it's family, then I think you, you try to explain to them, even though oftentimes they'll be resentful or don't understand. But um, I know in, in my situation uh, with uh, relatives that we've sought to explain to them what we do and don't do on, um, on the Lord's Day. And uh, most often they... Um, respect that. So if you go to your room, they know why you've gone, gone to your room. Then you try to be as sociable as you can in the opportunities where you can be then. so Okay? We'll stop. You mentioned the importance of hospitality. And in God's providence, one of the reasons uh, my family became Orthodox Presbyterians was because of the hospitality of uh, family in the church that we visited when we first moved out here. Mm. Um, it was uh, now it's a PCA church, <laughs> but it was an OPC church at the time, Cerritos Valley. And we just moved into the area the day before we had just moved into the home that we were renting for a little while. And uh, Saturday night, uh, talking to my wife, and said, "Well, we've got to find a church to go to tomorrow. We didn't know any in the area. We got out the phone book. Uh, we had gone. We had been in the PCA church. Had been an RTTES church. It became a PCA church. Uh, and uh, we didn't see any though in our immediate area. But we saw this little ad for Cerritos Valley Orthodox Presbyterian Church." Uh, well, we actually went out Saturday night and found where it was because we didn't want to take time Sunday to find where it was. So we went out Saturday night and found where it was. It was only about two miles away from our house. Went there. First week we were there, a family asked us to come home uh, with them for dinner. I don't remember what we had for dinner, but I remember the wonderful time we had <laughs> uh, with that family. Second Sunday we went there, a family asked us to come home for dinner. I don't remember what we had. I remember we had a wonderful time. Uh, and we spent all afternoon there and went back for the evening worship services. Third week we were there. Guess what? <laughs> Home for dinner. This is a great church. <laughs> this is a wonderful church. Fourth week we were there. Our ties 